Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Murder Board Podcast. This is Civil Trials, the discussion show for the Murder Board Podcast. I'm your host, Walter, and tonight I am back with the boys. We got Shelton. Hello. And we got Hector. Hello. (laughs) And tonight we are discussing the third and final installment in the John Carpenter Apocalypse Trilogy, In the Mouth of Madness. If you have not seen this movie, this is your spoiler warning. And if you have, I hope you enjoy our show. All right, boys, we are pretty much in the home stretch of our cosmic cosmic apocalypse series here we've reached one we've got one more movie left but we've reached the climax if you will how we feeling i thoroughly enjoyed this movie um i will say that better than the last one for sure same it's a hell of a note to end on for the trilogy honestly amazing yes it is um so yeah, final film in John Carpenter's trilogy. Uh, if I were to describe the entire trilogy, I'm gonna get into the movie. But if I were to like describe the entire trilogy, it feels like we took three different science classes. Fair, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> um, the thing feels like the the fun class where we got to go outside and like do things and very interactive. And then the Prince of Darkness for me felt like we were in a very small room with an overly crowded uh, class and just listening to some old guy babble on. And then the smart kid of the class argued with him back and forth on things I did not understand. Um, And then this movie feels like um, our teacher was... For me, this movie felt like when the the teacher got really mad at the class and just starts yelling and everybody's just kind of looking at each other. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. As we know, (laughs) Walter is a sort of masochist. Is that the word? Yeah, you you enjoy pain. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) In the mouth of madness. Man, uh, yeah. I'll get my thoughts on the movie. But this is mainly based on Lovecraft's original work at the mountains of madness uh at the mountains of madness it was it is a science fiction horror novella by american writer hp lovecraft uh it was published in 1836 and the plot of that story is that uh the story details the events of a disastrous exposition to the antarctic continent in september of 1930 and was found there by a group of explorers led by the narrator dr william dyer Throughout the story, Dyer details a series of previous untold events in the hopes of deterring another group of explorers who wish to return to the continent. These events include the discovery of an ancient civilization older than any human race and the realization of Earth's past told through various sculptures and murals. So, um, question for the podcasters here. Have you ever heard and read this at the mounds of madness story and what is your opinion on it i don't believe i have uh read this no i haven't either i've I, the name rings the bell like i've heard people talk about it but i i honestly have never like looked at it myself me neither um <laughs> i was going to read it and then i even downloaded it on audible and i was like you know what 
I'm just not. Uh, <laughs> it's too much cosmic horror for me. This is already too much, and I'm I, I've got other stuff to do. So I just kind of took it at its you know what the the facts on Google told me. Uh, I took it at face value. Uh, it sounds like a plot that I would enjoy, but I know if I actually read it, I would absolutely hate it because getting into ancient civilizations and describing undescribable things is just not my bag. Boo. It does sound intriguing, I will say that. Yeah, it sounds I mean, yeah, the plot sounds like all three of these past movies put together. Like, it's the thing with a little bit of in Prince of Darkness and then this entire movie <laughs> at uh, in the mouth of madness. Uh the plot of At the Mountains of Madness, like I said, it sounds like something that I would like at face value, but I know if I read it, I would be absolutely furious. But uh what I do find it interesting that it did remind me when I was reading like the synopsis and everything and like what about the book. Uh it reminded me a lot of the recent, you know, Godzilla Monsterverse movies. As of this recording, we would have gotten uh, this actually today, the Sunday we're, we're recording this, we would have gotten the uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong trailer. And uh, I told you guys before we started the show, I love those movies because they they basically take the conspiracy route and they make it all about Hollow Earth. And that's where Godzilla comes from and the nuclear energy and all that. Like that stuff I can get with. You know, I like I like. I don't like monster movies or like supernatural movies too much, but I like kaiju movies with the exception of Pacific Rim. Those movies are terrible. Oh, God. Um, I absolutely. Oh. Okay. But, um, you know, I, you know, give me a Godzilla, give me a King Kong, give me a Cloverfield. I'm there. But, uh, Cloverfield. <laughs> yeah, that's Pretty what I, intense. Um, yeah. Uh, last thing I did want to touch on before we go to break here. Um, last week when we discussed the Prince of Darkness, there was a scene with a black man and a, a nail or a screwdriver or whatever he was driving in his throat. And Sheldon argued that that was a display of insanity. And I promptly disagreed. And so I wanted to, since the movie that we're talking about here deals with an adept and my understanding of insanity, I wanted to get your guys thoughts on just general the depiction and meaning of insanity within the cosmic horror genre as we know it. Well, I mean, for starters, I would say that it in the cosmic horror genre, I would say the definition of insanity is very uh, uh, loose because um, because in the sense that in these genres, if anything of the cosmic horror <laughs> happens to you and you come back, People were like, okay, was well, she's clearly gone insane. So I don't know. To me, the definition of insanity for this genre, and you can see in the other movies too, is very loose, and almost everyone is deemed insane. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's more of a perception thing. So as you can see it more in the mouth of madness as you watch, but the more the main character understands what's going on the the more clearly he seems to be thinking to us because we know that what he's witnessing is actually happening but to other people they think he's going crazy and he's insane and that goes with what i was saying is like what i've said before in other podcasts is the more you understand about the cosmic horrors the less normal people can understand you and therefore you seem insane yeah 
And or you're driven insane, and sometimes those thoughts in your head are too much to think about, and you'd rather die. <laughs> that I can't understand. But I do, yeah, what you said before was good. Uh, yeah, you've been saying it throughout the other podcast, and I thought, oh, you know, it doesn't really touch on it too much in, well, I will say the thing touches on it in, a, in the most realistic way, because the guy that quote-unquote goes insane is the one that's, like, shooting a gun at everybody and destroying all the computers and everything, and then there's another guy that kills himself. He's, he's like, clearly not insane, you know? Yeah, well, well, I mean, we, yeah, there's... Because what we know. Yeah, the, because the thing, there's a big old the alien. The thing with that is, like, the, the thing about insanity, it's a, it's a huge perspective thing. So yeah. it's, it's like when you say someone who's insane doesn't think they're insane. It's because they see the reasoning and logic behind everything that they do. Yeah. And what I was saying is that, like, when it comes to cosmic horror, a lot of the time, Shelton, you repeatedly say that, you know, them trying to understand this cosmic being of the old ones or whatever, and them trying to understand it is the root of that insanity. But basically them seeing the deity uh, is the their insanity in and of itself, I think. Like, that is that's the causation of it. And that, to me, I just, like, I understand that concept, and I think it could work in some other media, but I, it would need to be thoroughly explained. And I think this movie did okay with that, um, but that's just, I don't know. It, to me, insanity, because, you know, I don't know too much about psychology, I only took one class on it. I don't even know if I passed it. But I I find psychology extremely interesting, especially in media, movies. You know, we talked on our I you know, I spent the entirety of our Science of the Lambs podcast going like, you know, this is true insanity and it's beautiful, but it's also horrifying. Ooh, shit. But it, you know, it's also horrifying. And like you get to something like this and it's like, well, yeah, it's crazy. But I and I kind of understand why. But where is the the where's the belief in it? Like, I don't know. With something like this and cosmic horror in general, it's hard for me to sustain my disbelief because I'm so wired into like, you know, in Hannibal, it's nothing but explanation. But it's also like a, a scavenger hunt. You have to find the information that explains to you what this person's insanity is like while here it is more of a perception thing like you said Shelton it's more of like a you know we see what's happening to this man and then everybody else is like oh this guy's a little loony but then as the audience in his point of view as we're looking it's 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 nonsense it's complete and like utter nonsense to me but uh I don't know I don't know if uh, all that makes sense or not it makes sense. Honestly, though, if you, if you really think about it, the the way insanity works in the sense of perception, I think that does parallel a lot with reality. Just because, like, you know, somebody who's insane, right? Someone you don't you don't understand why they're doing it, all the crazy. Like that that person, that homeless person walking on the side of the street, you know, the stereotypical kind who's like babbling and like seems like they're on drugs or is like twisted in some way in their head the one right? that's usually going off on capitalism <laughs> pretty, much, pretty much like everything that they're saying and babbling about and thinking they probably understand fully and it makes complete sense but we think they're crazy so i think there are pa parallels to be drawn there when it comes to reality okay yeah i can understand that it's a so where sanity is almost in the eye of the holder yeah 
which that's very I feel like that that's, that's a, is that's a very Lovecraftian, idea. but you can also yeah. like compare it to reality in that way as well. Yeah, because I feel like in in the mouth of madness and like I know sir, I was I, I know I said we were gonna go to break, but like in the mouth of madness because <laughs> we're gonna discuss all this when we do discussion part, but like in the mouth of madness, I feel really is the out of all three of these movies that dive into the insanity part of the horror like it's the most psychological horror of them all and i like psychological horror and like i was saying like this was like i get it but i feel like it can be done or it has been done better elsewhere but then again i've all i've also yeah. seen where it's done absolutely horrible you know recently i saw secret garden which is a stephen king uh story turned into a movie starring johnny depp um it's not the first time we're gonna i'm going to reference stephen king but like (laughs) that movie's horrible and it deals with the same like thing about you know fiction and reality and insanity and psychology and that movie's actually absolute trash well you know this one i it does take a more i'll say it, it takes a more straight and narrow view of it as to where I was wanting a little bit more explanation-wise, but it is a Lovecraftian story, so I'm not going to get that. <laughs> Were you expecting explanation? Because, frankly, I was not. I was because of how the movie started and what the movie is about. So I was like, okay, this is going to be different. We're going to get a different type of Lovecraft. Maybe I'll like it. And then as it went on, as they crossed that bridge to that town, I was like, oh, I'm not. I, somewhere inside <laughs> I, me, I really did kind of expect something to, like, some sort of explanation. Like, when the dude was like, so it's an alien. And I was like, see, I thought that too, good sir. But then again, <laughs> I also do not think it is an alien. See? Nor have we ever, no, no one's really, like, proven. There's no proof. There is no, like, thought process to the fact that it is. And other, than, other than, like, it's like celestial, like body looking, alien looking. See, gray. that's exactly what I thought when I ended it. But I talked to a friend who had also watched it before, and mm. has delved delved a lot deeper into it. And I realized that those explanations that you guys are looking for, and that I was looking for, were looking for the wrong kind of explanation. Yes. <laughs> and so I have the explanation that makes it all make sense. But we're going to get to that towards the end when we talk about how we felt about the ending and our perspectives. Yeah, like I had to really think about this. I really thought about this. I thought about this movie in a completely different way before I even like reached the conclusion. Or not not even that I that I reached it because I didn't reach it and I didn't conclude (laughs) it before I even contemplated the conclusion of it being an alien. Because I thought of it, I thought of that conclusion to be very boring and I didn't like it. I was like, okay, we're not going with an alien because that's so broad and so done. And I mean, why would they even do that? You know, right? I like it's a little more grandiose than just a fucking alien. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is. Yep, yeah, it is. It's way more grandiose than that, dude. Yeah. Emphasis on yeah. grand. So yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go to break and then we'll be back with fine. some. We'll be back with some movie facts on In the Mouth of Madness. My biggest account, they just filed a claim. It cost me millions. I want you on this right away. What's the claim? Sutter Kane's missing. Who? Sutter Kane. 
Sutter Kane. So we're back, and let's get into some quick movie facts about In the Mouth of Madness. It was released February 3rd of 1995. It was directed by John Carpenter, screenplay by Michael DeLuca, who's I found out is a big old producer now. He's done a lot of big movies, um, the names of which I cannot remember at the moment, but he's like a big dude. Start as a screenwriter, though. Uh, the film stars Sam Neill, Julie Carmen, Jargon Porchnow, and Charlton Heston. And the plot goes as such. When horror novelist Sutter Kane goes missing, insurance, insurance investigator John Trent, played by Sam Neill, scrutinizes the claim made by his publisher Jackson Hargrove, played by Charlton Heston, and endeavors to retreat a yet-to-be-released manuscript, and ascertain the writer's whereabouts. Accompanied by the novelist editor Linda Stiles, played by Julie Carmen, and distributed by Nightmares from reading Kane's other novels, Trent makes an eerie nighttime trek to a supernatural town in New Hampshire. The budget for the film was $8 million, and the box office was $8.9 million. This movie tanked. <laughs> Um, I don't have any bonus facts because I forgot to look them up, but um, just some things that I know <laughs> just by watching this movie. Uh, the actor Sam Neill, does he look familiar to you guys? No. Which one? Who was that? All right. Um, well, that actor, um, I think he's best known for Jurassic Park. I think this movie oh, takes place yeah. after that, after that came out. Um, <laughs> he also played the Omen in Omen 3. <laughs> Uh, just be pulling out the horror knowledge that I know. <laughs> I've seen him in The Omen as The Omen running a business. Yeah, that's just me making up shit. Uh, I mean, those happen in those movies, but that's all the like bonus facts I had. I didn't really look into this movie. Um, so yeah, we're going to take one more break, and then we're actually going to get into the movie. back uh in the mouth of madness uh wow this movie so uh you two said you enjoyed this movie i it's okay <laughs> i think it's okay 
Um, I think it'll be better to talk about rather than watching. The thing, what I, did you not like about it? Yeah, I'm confused. I I don't honestly me as I don't know I don't know why you would not have liked it. So explain yourself. To me. Well, I mean, this movie has a lot of elements, much like Prince of Darkness, that I like. Uh, I like the first half of this movie where, although I do question the fact that a insurance investigator is investigating a missing person. I I think you would call the police or a private detective for that. But um, I. I don't, I don't know. The beginning, the very beginning is him at the, what, the Sane Asylum? So that was weird. But it's very Lovecraftian. But my whole thing about this movie is that, yeah, it has a lot of elements that I like, which is, you know, the conversation on insanity. It's very meta. I love meta, like, content. And it's, it's got a, you know, it's about a writer. Uh, it's got it's got all the things that I think I should like. But then as this movie goes on, I'm like, I don't see the appeal. I don't know. I just don't find this movie too appealing mm. for me personally. And I guess that'll go into whether I think it's appealing for other people, but I won't reveal that until the end. Uh, it was so much goop that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's candle exploded in someone's house. Her yeah, oh my candle. god. We love exploding vagina candles here on the podcast. We do. First. <laughs> we support um but yeah so the movie really starts in a flashback where we got uh john trent that name sucks john trent um pretty much a white guy he's a freelance insurance investigator um i didn't know these existed uh do either of you have any general knowledge on what the hell an insurance investigator is and well I can assume that it's it's the type of thing that like let's say your house or your business burns down and you try to claim the insurance compensation for it. It's the person who comes and investigates whether it was arson by you or if it was really like an accident or someone else. Yeah. So they just investigate for fraud insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So avoid hey, fraud. But can you be a freelance insurance investigator? I don't understand can, that. You Probably. can really freelance you can be a anything. freelancer investigator. Or... Seriously? Yeah, anybody can freelance anything for the most part. As long as you have like... Dealer, you know, like... <laughs> as long as you have like... Cred... You want credentials really because some stuff Probably requires licensing. Yeah. yeah, but if you have that where it doesn't require licensing, you can freelance doing anything. Alright, so this movie starts off with a book being made in the mouth of badness. I thought this was pretty cool, but I was unprepared on what I was going to watch next. Because after it, we get an insane asylum, and I was way caught off guard. <laughs> um, Me too, honestly. Yeah. I didn't expect it to start off, like, towards the end. Yeah, it. I, I didn't understand it at first, and then I caught on. I was like, oh, we're going to do a flashback. Um, yeah. I, I do like the fact that his only request was a black crayon, and he drew all over his, like, face and cell. See, the, the best part about that is um, him drawing all over himself and everything was before he truly understood what was happening. Like, he, he thought, okay, this is some demonic, horrifying, like, witchcraft type stuff. But he he was wrong as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was a part of me was like, I hope to God we're not getting more devil goop or, like, deity goop. Like, because 
the crosses indicate that you know we're getting I'm, some I'm pretty de- done with goop in lovecraft yeah. and horror i'm not gonna lie yeah i mean like we yeah, got it in the thing and the thing it was funny because it was just spraying a dog and then the, we got a whole movie of it and i'm like i hope to god we don't get in this one but we you didn't only take goop so much yeah <laughs> i mean like there was so much goop that I, I didn't know that. I thought you had to be represented by some kind of place, but all right. Be your own boss, Walter. Not on my podcast. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, okay. I just get, I was just very caught off guard on that whole occupation there. Um, how do we feel about you know this? A lot of this beginning is just the writer Sutter Kane is really he was been missing for two months. Um, I do ask the question why an insurance investigator is investigating a missing person. Is that is that normal? I think um, it's kind of like his. I think because he's freelance, he is his title is insurance investigator, but because of his investigative skills, he kind of does other things, like you know, the whole. I think my husband's cheating on me, or I think my wife's cheating on me. Can you investigate them type stuff? Because he's freelance, he'll pick up the work because he has the skills to do it. Yeah, but that that to me says private eye, not insurance. <laughs> my cheating my cheating husband doesn't scream insurance on me to me. It, I, I the, the way the way I figured was like businesses can come for him to him, or like insurance companies can come to him and try and use him for that because of his title. But it's like. If, if he's just talking to some people and it's like, oh, you want to find something out? Well, I have investigative skills. So even though I'm an insurance investigator, I do my own work. I am my own boss. So I'll do this for you if you pay me. All right. <laughs> I'll accept it. Um, <laughs> just a little uh, backtrack here. Uh, I did. There's little there's lots of because of how meta this movie is. And I caught on to it really quickly. And we'll discuss on how meta it is. Um so it one thing that did make me laugh is that the song that's playing in the asylum is called uh we've only just begun it's the beginning of the movie and it's by a band called the carpenters john carpenter oh, directed wow. directed this movie so that, I, that's really fucking metal dude and that's, that's, that's so clever funny. as hell so i thought that was pretty cool but yeah we got sutter kane and immediately i'm like okay so this is Stephen King. This is like this Sutter Kane is a reference to Stephen King. They they really reference him in the movie, uh, saying that he sells more than Stephen King. It's the eighty or it's the nineties. So like Stephen King, I think is on it's it's the nineties. So he's on like his second. Uh, yeah, I think he's starting nineteen ninety five. So he's starting his like second resurgence because every couple of years people are like, you know what, we can make some money off this old band. And he, I think, <laughs> yeah, he, he's on his like second resurgence. And I think he's done a lot of TV stuff around this time. Uh, it would have been uh, coming out or being made or already been out. I think that's 1990. So this is about five years later. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I did latch on to that. And I thought that was pretty cool. We're getting a we're getting a pretty much John Carpenter commenting on Stephen King. They're actually really good friends in real life. Uh, they teamed together on Christine, one of my favorite movies of uh, adaptation. So hopefully we will do it on the podcast one day. But uh, if but yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. 
um, the commentary on this. Uh, so I wanted to know what you thought, Shelton. You know, is throughout this movie we got Sutter Kane, and I think uh, the, the man on the news at the beginning says, uh, "When? Oh yeah, there's, there's like a bunch of people just writing for this book that's coming out <laughs> and going crazy, which kind of sets the tone." And the guy on the news says, um, "When does fiction become religion?" So I wanted to see what you thought about that comment before we move any further and hector you can come in with your opinion as well about that statement i i loved it it's the dialogue in this movie is amazing it's so good because it's like um you know honestly i think i think it was a definitely you know carpenter likes his digs at religion he likes his comparisons to religion and i feel like that was a way to kind of do that but at the same time reflect on how in the actual movie, the writing from these books is, for whatever reason, causing people to go insane. Because they, and the more that they believe in it, the more, like, insane they become, or the more influence it has over everyone. Uh, that's a that's a pretty good dig at religion. I will, I will say that. Hearing that quote makes me want to answer it. I'm not gonna lie. I think he was trying to get people to to think about it. Dude, I mean, just the amount of times it's repeated, I would, I would, uh, I would tell you that. Oh. You, uh, I, I didn't think you repeat about that. fiction enough times, it becomes, I feel like it solidifies in people's uh, mental pretty well. So then it's almost like a religion, as, uh, I mean, if you worship, you know, your thought process. Which, uh, I guess, uh, in a sense, you could say that people do, um, in the sense that you know you you might follow it uh, without second thought um, or a second consideration, um, so you repeat a uh, fiction enough to people, or you, you grind it uh, subliminally or subconsciously enough times. It's just a matter of it's honestly a math equation, boiling it down to how many times do you have to show it to someone before it becomes religion for them. Uh, religion being, I guess, uh, and the idea comes to them autonomously without having that extra influence now. Or they'll repeat the inf- information willingly uh, and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're blowing my mind, man. Because I, I agree with both of you. Uh, first, the whole thing about religion. It is something I did notice while watching this movie is that all three of these movies that we've watched have some kind of like dig on religion. Carpenter is not a big fan of religion. All of <laughs> no, his movies. He's not. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't realize I I didn't I can't believe I didn't realize this. But yeah, all of his movies deal with nonconformity or virginity, as I discussed last time. But um yeah, it, nonconformity is definitely a big theme for all three of these movies, especially in this one. And, you know, uh, as far as that, yeah, it's something something we don't really see anymore, really. Well, actually, I think we see too much of it. Almost like a like a glamorization of it. Yeah. Over nonconformity. It's like, well, do I conform by not conforming? Ooh. At what point does being nonconforming become Conforming. Becoming, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. We're getting deep when everybody is nonconformant. 
that makes you basically conforming. Conforming yeah. to the status quo. So you, I guess, you know, in a sense, always conforming to some type, sort of idea, ideology of sorts. Yeah, Holy and I... Shit. Yeah, this is, this is... This is raising some good questions here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if you... It, I guess it is... If it's something repeated... I don't know, because for me personally... <laughs> I see it once. Uh, you got me. You know, if we're thinking about, if I think in the way of media, and since we are talking about a media here with a book coming out and these fans of this movie or in the movie, you know, if it doesn't take much, uh, if, if, if you're someone like me, maybe the general audience needs repetition, which is why we have sequels, but mm-hmm. it is the fans and the result of that first thing that becomes the jumping off point for that how do you get fans though well you just gotta take a risk every movie's a risk because you know i i immediately thought of scream screams on my mind because next month we're doing uh scream 2 you know it just takes one movie and then next thing you know you got a theater full of people in ghost face mask or you know i find it really interesting again if you want to get meta with it john carpenter has never made a sequel to any of his movies with the exception of one and that's halloween and that was out of his hands because it became a bigger franchise than he thought uh just a risk so if you apply it to the themes of this movie it's very it's very i don't think it necessarily requires repetition but it just takes one alignment for uh, a group to form thus for a community to uh, form thus a religion to form based on one sole product and I guess that goes into like consumerism really if you think about it though it does even if it's not tied together like even if it's not a sequel or a continuation creating more content in itself is repetition because you repeat yeah. often you when you create something, you repeat the same themes to or the same structure. Outcome. Yeah, and you yeah. build that following. Like, no, there's never a super, super huge following on anything from someone who's ever only ever produced one thing. It's always more than one. Well, yeah, it's it's more than one, but it takes one thing to form that big boom. Like, you know, so you're you're uh, you're uh, highlighting the root cause rather than the the branching or the the after effect of the initiation of the root cause well it wouldn't it still be the same like you know you can have a root cause like you can have so you can have one viral video but after the viral video you know how do you oh how do you how do you how do you keep an audience the idea the idea of that viral that influencer having her fiction as in her i guess desired outcome to having uh influence um because at the moment it's fiction because it hasn't um actualized into reality yet um how does her fiction become religion so how does how does she implant her as an idea into the mind of others um get her simp army quote unquote you know what i'm saying <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right on the fact that yeah, you don't just petition. do it off a of one busted video. You do five of them, and maybe two of them get viral. So then you do another five, and you know, you know what I'm saying. Even if they're not connected directly, it's the fact that you're producing more content 
and your audience grows because people who enjoy you come back for whatever you're creating. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it, if you bring it back to film, I guess it is that way because um, Christopher Nolan, my favorite director, you know, he's made he made one movie before his big break, which was Memento. But before that, it's a movie that people no one knows about called Following, which is basically memento and inception so i guess yeah i mean there's other examples too you know people make multiple things before that one big thing happens so it does but i think after that one big thing happens then the where you guys i think are highlighting is the fact that when it keeps going and you're just building and building on more then that's where the religion happens within the audience because you they're conditioned for something now you know people go to a christopher nolan movie conditioned for a certain type of movie and that's kind of the big contention when tenant came out because it's such a different type of movie than expected or even a better example would be m night Shyamalan. everybody expects a, everybody expects a twist at the end at the end of his movie and then you get to something like uh what happened Da, 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 da. I want to say the the hat. Nope, the happening had a twist. Crap, I guess he does every twist in his movie. No, there's one where there's not a twist. I guess you get to M. Night Shyamalan movie and you just expect it to be bad, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, you know, he did have an Oscar winning movie like right off the bat. So that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I'm trying to keep the meta like theme with it as well. If we're saying something is um, when does fiction become religion? If we're thinking book and film wise, that it just takes already religion. I think you build a religion. Religion has to be built, in my opinion. It can't just kind of happen. Right. The repeated action comes back into play, right? So how do you how do you build it? You keep telling the stories, right? I mean, that's kind of where I based it off of. Is that kind of like religions come from legends? Um, in a sense, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. like storytelling. Well, anyway, <laughs> this movie is full of that kind of stuff, and I have a lot more questions. But um, yeah. So the new caster add, added that. But a big thing that I want to highlight on is that you know I wrote in my notes is John Carpenter commenting on Lovecraft or is he commenting on Stephen King he directly calls out Stephen King and on the base level we have a writer who's this massive dude and he has this massive effect on people and this great following to enough to for them to riot and stuff but you know like I said uh, this whole entire trilogy is based on Lovecraft and the same, the way the story of this movie is structured is basically a Lovecraft movie. It's an insane person recounting their journey of this undescribable thing they faced. And, you know, they understand it, but everyone around them does not. So, I don't know. I, for me, I think he's leaning more towards, I think it's both, but I lean more towards Stephen King because I just have more knowledge of his writing and the the way the character comes off in this movie is the same way Stephen King writes um, a godlike figure in his stories, which is why, you know, if if you want to make that battle, Stephen King versus Lovecraft, I will say Stephen King because he makes more human, relatable, and explainable characters, even though they do such grandiose things, much like in this movie. I, I can I can see how, yeah, you would compare it in that way because it. it 
Generally, yeah, pretty much it is that same type of thing. So I see how you make that comparison. I concur. <laughs> um, have you guys read any Stephen King books, or you just know the adaptations? The adaptations. For just me. the adaptations, my boy. I recommend reading its books. Well, not all of them. Some of them are kind of trash. <laughs> but and I'll, you know, every Stephen King book has a terrible ending. But you know, <laughs> uh, it, I think it's. I think it's an interesting way to it's an interesting theme about this movie. And this movie, you know, it, it cracked down on the themes because it's not many <laughs> as the Prince of Darkness decided to just stuff so much into that, so much theme into that movie. While In the Mouth of Madness has a very select uh I will say it's on a like a four point theme basis here with religion, meta textual stuff along with uh slight consumerism and then we have the insanity uh stuff we talked about earlier mm-hmm. so proceeding through the movie uh bah, 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 where else do i go so people are going crazy they're reading this book um a lot of the audience and everything reminded me of the stuff we see in the past uh our past basically which is you know star wars rick and morty politicians beyonce jake paul tiktok all this like fandom, and me and Shelton did a, a uh, an episode on fandom a while ago. Uh, so this movie, I feel, really cracked out on that before fandom, in which you have this legion of people following and worshiping and holding up this one product. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in this movie, you got a guy with an axe through a window. <laughs> that, that scene was incredibly weird, uh, but it was so <laughs> funny to watch. Oh, it's such a, like, innocuous scene. Like, it's one of those scenes where you see and you're like, okay, what the fuck, why is this happening? And you, later on, it's like, oh, shit. It's happening because the dude knew what was going to happen and wanted to stop it and knew the only way to stop it. Yeah, he's like, he's wearing, I thought he was going to flash him. He's wearing a big old trench coat and you don't see anything else. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, so this is just like that movie Observing Report where you got the naked fat sla- flasher guy. But no, he has a hat. He has like a full axe in his hand. And he's oh. like, it's all I don't understand how you got that. I, I saw him and was like, no, nah, he's coming for blood. He wants to kill him. Uh, first thing I saw was the trench coat. I'm assuming you're going to flash me. And, you know. Oh, Christ. Trench coats are very just. Trench coats are very Lovecraftian. Are oh, I didn't know that. It's like if if you see someone with a trench coat in Lovecraft, that means that it's a very sinister type of thing. Like, right? You see a humanoid with a trench coat, you have no idea what's being hidden under the trench coat. So you exactly. think flashing, you think flashing, but what my mind jumps to is um Eldritch Horror. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about that in another show because I, I I see what you're talking about there. There was a trench coat in that in that show that we're gonna discuss. But okay, I get I understand. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't know I didn't know because when I see trench coat, I either think of the '90s, which this takes place in, or I think of flashers. And I, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> Do we have flashers still? I don't know, but um. Speakers. Well, yeah, I guess I guess it's more of a of an activity now rather than a a, a shocking thing. Yeah, usually it's like you know it's it's already there. <laughs> it's already there. There's yeah. no anticipation anymore. 
Here on the Murderbird Podcast, we are sex positive. You run through that football field naked, but don't do it because you'll get arrested. Don't do that, actually. Do it. I endorse it. <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> God, this is why you need a manager. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our main character here starts reading the books and he instantly starts having nightmares. Um, I thought it was funny how he was like, no, 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 I'm not going to read these stupid books. And then went home and he immediately read it. And like, he, he passes out and has like a, a dream. Like he has like a repeated dream, which was annoying to me. Like he kept waking up and it was like something was happening. And I'm like, okay, then. Uh, and then he decides to do some arts and craft by cutting up the uh, the covers and finds out there's a map to a. What do you think the about town that? that? Doesn't exist. Yeah. I I love that because it it kind of um, the thing about Lovecraft is once you unlock knowledge to the elder to like the horrors of the old ones and things like that, you it's it's a it's a door. You can't close that door once you've opened it. And Think of it, of it that way. Him opening that door was starting to read the books like everyone who's going insane has. Yeah, it's a catalyst. It's it's a cause to an effect. Love it. It was an amazing way to portray that. Yeah, I, I can agree. Yeah, it was, you know, open a book. You know, you can't unlearn something. So that is a good way to start off his paranoia. And I was with it. I, I, yeah, this first half I'm with, it feels very, like I said, it feels very Stephen King to me, which is why I think I'm drawn in by it. You know, once the Charlton Heston uh, gives our main character this spoken hot woman to go oh, and find Linda, <laughs> Linda, oh, Linda. Styles. They oh, Linda. Uh, Linda Stiles and our main character, John Trent, they decide to go on a road trip to find this missing author because of plot. And <laughs> what cracks me up is that on their road trip, I, I had instant flashbacks to Children of the Corn because it, it's the exact like same setup where it's a couple in a car in the middle of summer riding through cornfields trying to figure out their, if they want to stay married or not. Here, we just got to two dudes and they're arguing or not two dudes it's two people arguing in a car uh driving through cornfields and i was like you know i just i'm waiting for a kid to jump out for them to run over <laughs> but that does not happen instead they get lost <laughs> well, oh no they do they oh. do hit that old woman on the bike <laughs> i can't wait i forgot yeah there's this bicycle everybody's riding a bike wherever they're going and yeah they hit an old woman <laughs> she goes flying and then disappears but it's a dream isn't it it's a dream it's not a dream they they hit her and then she's laying down on the ground like and she says um i can't move i'm losing myself i'm losing myself or something like that not exactly that but i'm losing me or something like that is what it said which is okay <laughs> i thought it was a dream it, i thought it was great <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I don't condone old women being hit by cars, but this was... He lived. Like, you see yeah. some, later, he lived. Some people have it coming to them. <laughs> I mean, when you ride a bike on the wrong side of, ro of the road in the middle of nowhere, when there's oncoming traffic, I think you deserve to get hit by a car. 
Well, yeah, but like I said, I was thinking about Ch- Children of the Corn, and in one of those movies, I think it's the second one, an old lady gets thrown through a window in her wheelchair. So that's all I could think about, and I was like, "Oh my God, is she dead?" But no, she was she was mumbling some stuff. So I, I got it. But um, there's an interesting conversation they have in the car as they go to find Kane, and I, I basically the conversation was on reality, and it kind of sets up is foreshadowing it sets up where this movie's going um i believe it's linda and she says the insane insane would switch places if the insane became the majority and i thought that was interesting so what is your thoughts on that quote there my thoughts is it perfectly it perfectly blows up the whole concept of insanity being more perception because it's just like let's say we it's like one of those movies where people end up stranded on some island in a different country or something like that right and um let's say like what's that what's that one movie um where the people get like eaten by the tribal people and like murdered horribly and stuff like that uh like red something cannibal holocaust or green zone i think it is a green zone Something like that, but oh, it's pretty I much think like they do that in a couple movies, if I'm not wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of movies like that, but um, I think what you're talking about is Green Inferno. Which Green is... Inferno, yes, that that's the one I was referring to. But it's kind of like that in the sense of right, it's this small minority of people who are used to more a more civilized society, and you know, not blood sacrificed and brutal murder, <laughs> and they think that the the people who are doing that to them are insane. While on the other side. their perspective of it is probably this is what we do so we do it they don't understand they aren't right in the head because they don't understand which makes sense i just love that fucking geek it out about it it's fucking amazing yeah go ahead go ahead and blow your load say what you gotta say bro (laughs) go ahead blow no that's that's too much it nut go ahead wipe the nut off the screen real quick oh god leave it there (laughs) you sit there uh, what about you, Hector? I mean, this is true. I don't know. Uh, you can't really fight this, honestly. Um, I've taken one psychology class. I took one philosophy class. You mix the two up. You suddenly, I'm an expert in both psychology and philosophy. You know, you do mushrooms sometimes. You do a little. You drop a little bit of DMT. Uh, you become a master in uh, philosophy and psychology. You know, so I, as a person who has partaken. Um, can agree that this this is fundamental law. Uh, like Shelton says, he kind of brings it back this and emphasizes how how all of this is perceptual. You know, if uh, if suddenly everyone in a room decided the color green was red, and you try to enter that social circle, telling people that green is yellow, they'd be like, no, it's red, and you can't change their mind. You know, now you put this on a global level. Or it's like you said, suddenly all the insane people outnumber the sane people, uh, and they start to they become radical and start to kill off all the sane people. The insanity is going to become the norm, which would go into our conformity theme that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how far does conforming go? Look, if you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and write this essay and blow your teachers' minds. <laughs> Whatever you're grade welcome. you're in. Get that extra bonus points. 
Yeah, just pay us. You know, support the podcast. Link down below. Um, <laughs> Monetize, Turner. No. Uh, <laughs> okay, so yeah, I I will say this though. Throughout all the, th- I like the themes of these movies. Obviously, it's it's fun to talk about. It's 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 interesting to talk about. I like the characters because there's only two of them. <laughs> Not They're like great. The, their dialogue is so good. Their dialogue is really good. You know, all of their dialogue brings on theme. It's the type of writing that I like. I go. It's inherent in meta writing too. You know, we talked about it in Scream and the Scream TV show. Everything someone says is important because it's commenting on something that will either happen later or has already happened. And uh, a lot of this movie is commenting on what will happen later because it is a flashback. But I like the self-awareness of it. Um, This is 1995. This is a year before Scream would come out, which I thought was highly interesting. And that movie gets praise for all of its meta-ness in the slasher genre. So to have a movie here that's meta in the, I'm going to say, supernatural realm, but this is very much so... It's supernatural because we are dealing with a Stephen King figure, but it's meta in the Lovecraftian realm of it all. And I find mm-hmm. that highly fascinating because for the longest time, I'm like, Scream did it first. And they still did. But this movie was like, it, it, you know, they they got there a little earlier. It's like, hey, hey Scream, here's a little something to, th- to help you work on what you're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, Again, if you want to get meta with it, go back to Scream. It's commenting on the entire movie is structured and commenting on John Carpenter. The entire movie is a replay of Halloween. So all you film students out there, if you're listening to this podcast, write that essay. And don't forget to hit the link down below <laughs> and pay us our money. <laughs> um, yeah, so they hit the, the old lady. I thought it was a boy in my notes. I said, oh, they hit the little I boy. It's sure. a <laughs> I was not sure. <laughs> um, old man you know, or old woman, I don't know, but definitely got hit. <laughs> yeah. However, that character identifies as a gender or not. Uh, it was hit by a car, and I thought was killed. But I like. So let's get into the secret town here. I thought a lot about Teen Wolf season six, uh, <laughs> where Scott and Malia go to that ghost town, and. Yeah. This whole like I like I like this part. I like you know it, give me a ghost town where there's nothing there but visions of kids running and playing and you know stuff happening. I like this whole concept. I like that episode on Teen Wolf. I like I think I've seen this concept done elsewhere in whatever 70s movies I've seen. Um, I thought this was pretty cool. What about you? What, what about you? One, um, we have to create the we have to point out the distinction which. Yeah, Ghost Town, yes, but also the town from the book. True, true. We do have that added that added bonus, which, <laughs> uh, yeah, I loved it. Which again, it. it is a reference to Stephen King because uh, if you read Stephen King and you know that the uh, the adaptations, every story takes place in a version of Maine. And uh, if there are various fictional towns, including the most famous being Castle Rock, which is where a lot of the King, uh, King stories happen. I believe um, I want to say Salem's Lot happens there. Cujo happens in uh, Castle Rock. Stand by Me or the Body uh, takes place a little outside of there. 
Um, there's so many. There's so many. Um, I'll... no, misery does not take place there. But yeah, so I feel like that was a reference to that, and that's what I hold held on to. But yeah, secret secret town where no one. And <laughs> I also thought about Silent Hill, which I still haven't seen, but it's yeah, on this it's whoa, very what? strong. Si- I t- I keep telling them to watch the first Silent Hills. The second one's bad. Yeah. We're gonna but, do um, it soon. It's on the schedule, so I will watch it. Better it. fucking be. But yeah, <laughs> really huge Silent Hill vibes of um, driving on a on a road. And ending up in a completely different place that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Um. Very quickly. So yeah, they're. I did write in my notes. Are they inside the book or you know? Because he points out their pictures in the painting. So I'm like, oh god. So we are getting to this like extravagant stuff. Which, again, I I'm not. I like the idea. I've seen it. This concept in other places. I don't remember what. But yeah, you know, people. I like the pre, I like the comp that what am I saying I like the concept of predeterminism where you're playing out events that you've already done the whole paradox type thing like that's cool and I liked how they did it in this movie but then it quickly goes it bonkers because Kane appears as a kid in a church and there's an angry mob and I got so confused so fast no <laughs> no, no 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 Kane Kane was not the kid in the church he was not. Kane, no, the kid in the church was um, the main person leading the mob's son, but Cain was holed up in the church. And the mob that... came to try and get that guy's son back. Okay, all right. I guess that makes <laughs> sense. And you know, just because this this movie this movie seems to be meta without referencing a lot, but like. This whole mob reminded me, like, this whole scene reminded me of Michael Jackson's Ghost. If you ever seen that music video, <laughs> it starts off with a mob of parents outside of a big old mansion, and they're trying to burn it down because they think Michael Jackson's inside. That's kind of meta in itself. But the the plot you know, thickens as they go inside the giant mansion. It turns out Michael Jackson is a ghost, and all these kids were, like, giving him energy or something like that. Read into That's that weird. what you will. I like this. It's a great music video and it's a good That's song. That's fine, but fucking weird. <laughs> Shut up. We don't, and on this podcast, we do not badmouth Michael Jackson when it's in Right, but that's fucking weird. <laughs> well, it was the 90s. I mean, I mean, it was the 90s. <laughs> that's what I okay. thought. Okay. All right, so let's talk about Sutter Kane, Sheldon, and see if you can explain this real quick before we wrap. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about some more stuff, but like the main point I have with this, who. And what is Sutter Kane? Is he the devil? Is he God? Uh, I gotta just, I'm I'm gonna have to just see see that's where I was caught on, but now I'm gonna have to tell you what the whole thing is about because that's I didn't understand that until so, right? So I'm just gonna go ahead and skip to the ending because I feel like to understand this you have to kind of know the ending. So at the end you see. You realize that the manuscript that he brought back, yes. he didn't end up destroying like he wanted to. He actually brought it to the publisher, and it became published months prior. And now it's being turned into a movie, right? Yes. At the very end, once the world has pretty much gone to shit and the apocalypse happened because of the mass, um, how big it became everybody witnessed it in some way, whether it was through reading it or through watching the movie, right? So the the main character, 
whatever Eldritch Horrors, along with the insane, ransacked the asylum and murder everyone there, leaving it a ghost town, and his door broken, and him able to leave. He then goes to a movie theater and watches In the Mouth of Madness when it's turned into a movie. When you yeah. see that, it is him watching everything he had just been through. And when we see what's on the screen, it's what we just watched. Yes. Right? The thing is that Sutter Kane is the author, right? Yes. But the Sutter Kane we see the main character interacting with, right? Okay, so the main character, we are watching the book. That is what we are watching. We are watching the events that happen in the book. The protagonist is the fictional character. He is not a real person. But then Sutter he... Kane, Sutter Kane is a self-insert of himself, which is why ah. you don't get told what his powers originate from or come from. That and the main character is self-aware enough to understand that. So him laughing and enjoying the movie at the end is him realizing he's a fictional character and that everything he did wasn't by choice because he wasn't real in the first place to make decisions. Okay, I'm like super pissed on myself that I did not get that after like, I didn't get it either. And I was four days on thinking about Sutter this. Movie. I was like, who is Sutter Kane? And my friend Ethan told me, he was like, dude, the whole thing is a book. He's not a real person. He's fictional. He's just extremely self aware. And so, I was like, oh my God, I love that. Okay, so yeah, I understand now. And I can't believe exactly. I didn't realize. So what we're watching is basically fic- we're watching like someone. Fucking John Carpenter. You found a way to visualize the definition of fiction, basically. Yes. And he yes. turns that into a cosmic horror. Yes. Fuck. What? Now I it's kind of. It's amazing. Think. It's so good. It's, it's a something. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> any thoughts, Hector, on just the concept of that? But it's honestly pretty mind-blowing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally, not surprised uh, that people would not get it the first time. Uh, you know what I'm saying? The big yeah. hint at that is before he leaves the city, I mean, the, the town that shouldn't exist, um, Sutter Kane kind of, his body kind of deforms and turns into paper and rip he pretty much rips a hole in reality and the main character stares into the depths of the abyss where the eldritch horrors are going are pouring out of Mm. before they get through it and you see on the opposite end of that tear it is the pages of a book because the main character is in the book got it so it's yeah. <laughs> it's the definition of fiction and the m- motion of I don't know who's FaceTiming me. It is the def- <laughs> it is the definition of fiction real realized and it is the act of self awareness happening in the form of insanity. I can get with that. Yes. And, that and the, kinda... the reason the reason he seems insane while everybody else seems a lot more grounded in their beliefs is because he is so self-aware. Got it. And is that why his irises are splitting? His irises do the whole mummy like splitting, like they kind of no. double up. 
that that's that's Lovecraftian. That's like the it's kind of like um I think it has some because you know Lovecraft and the type of creatures are very uh, based around um, sea creatures. So I think the eyes of some fish are like that. Interesting. I think it's it might be octopus. Octopus eyes are like that or something, or squids right. or something like that. Hey, octopus. Um, speaking octopus-y, of octopus, speaking of octopusy, oh, uh, you've, kind of, <laughs> you've kind of covered the ending there, and I, I just that's all I had. Uh, this movie, is, <laughs> this movie's fairly simple once you finally think about it, but uh, I think it's really fun to talk about. So this is, I just wrote down some things that made me <laughs> crack up when watching this. Um, there's an old woman that turns into a monster at some point in this movie. Um, I believe it's in the hotel. Yeah. Totally reminded me of Spongebob the movie. <laughs> where oh, what? How? They, how? They for, remember how they stopped for ice cream and he was like, two scoops, please. Here you go, dearie. And their hands get stuck on the old woman. Oh, face. yeah. Turns out to be a, <laughs> turns out to be a, a monster. And he goes chasing him. It's like, go, 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 go. Don't you want to pet Mr. Whiskers? Oh, <laughs> The crazy, the best part is she was such a sweet old lady. But she in was. the in the book that they, because they're in the book that came out before in the Mouth of Madness. At this point, that's what that town is. It's that book. It's something. And in that book, the old lady brutally murders and rips apart her husband. He <laughs> catch that line, but I totally forgot about it. But then she turns into this like hideous thing, and I'm like, oh my god! And rips him apart. Yes. Um. Man, and then after that, you know, they get into the car, uh, and they're trying to get away, and <laughs> Linda eats the keys, reminding me of Get Out, because of that whole scene. <laughs> and okay, then she tries to, like, have sex with him while he's driving. <laughs> like, why are you doing this? He wrote it like that. They wanted to spice it up with the romance. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that in of itself has commentary nowadays with the whole role women play in movies. So that was pretty um, fun, and I, and then like <laughs> another they thing with the that, car. he keeps yeah. Linda's lost, and he keeps trying to save her. Stop, leave the bitch behind. <laughs> yeah, it's, it happens so many times. They like he's trying to get out of there, but he's like he keeps going back for her, and she just like beats the crap out of him. And, like, at one point, she, like, gets on all fours and turns into this monster. Like, her hair and neck turns around. I'm like, this is giving her exorcist for a, a run for its money here. But, like... weird and creepy. He's fucking uh, crab walking. And I'm like, at that point, I was like, I wrote in my nose, I'm like, this man needs a flamethrower. <laughs> and he would, like, a lot of this will be solved with a simple flamethrower. Oh, what did you think about the scene where... He's in the middle of town after the guy blows his own head off with a shotgun. And he's like, I'm leaving the town. But no matter how much, how many times he leaves the town, he ends up right back in that same spot. Because yeah. it's not what he's written to do. I kind of guessed that was going to happen, given that the town was, like, after him. 
And that sweater cane just kind of kept popping up. It reminded me a lot of one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies where the girl gets locked into a dream paradox at the climax of it. I think it's part four or five. And she just keeps ending up back. Like, no matter how many times she kills Freddy and then leaves town, she, right, she ends up right back at, like, this diner and has to keep killing him. And he's just like, I'm having fun. <laughs> we gotta. <laughs> it's so funny. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I did kind of catch on to that. The one, one of the simple things that I understood uh yeah so i do like the shot with the pages where he like rips it open and it's just blackness i thought that was pretty symbolic it was really Uh, cool and uh now that i understand the ending i don't really have much more about to say about this movie so let's move into recommends i just based on the past two based on the the series based on the theme based on the genre i i definitely watch it at least once you know is it will it be one of those movies you can watch multiple times that that is too personal of a choice for me to decide for you you're gonna have to decide that for yourself but definitely do give it a watch at least one time yes and what about you shelton i think um definitely give it a watch if you if you like lovecrafting horror then you can go into into it not knowing the fact that the whole thing is like what's happening in the book. But if not, then I think you need that piece of information to fully enjoy it. But I, I think it's it's something people need to watch. It's so good. It's so fucking good. <laughs> and um i'm gonna go with hector here uh not only as like if i recommend it or not but like based on the series this is our last of the john carpenter trilogy of movies that he has set out called his apocalypse trilogy all based on cosmic horror i want to backtrack because i think while the thing is an excellent movie then the mouth of madness might surpass it just directing wise this movie is chock full of or maybe just script wise i don't know like the script this, is really good the dialogue the is really is. good but like the visuals of the thing is very good as well and mm-hmm. that's kind of where the two differentiate because by the end of this movie it turns into one of the things i hate about 90s movies where it's just nonsense visual visual nonsense like we get this hobo killing people no no we get a cop like killing a hobo like two different times and just this repetitiveness about this movie but like i do think that the theme and the the structure and what this movie is saying is so strong and while it took me a minute to understand, even on this bike, it's like Sheldon like to explain the ending to me because I was totally confused. But yeah. and I I am such a fan of like meta textual stuff when it's like done right. So I will say like this and the thing are kind of the highlights of this. People skip Prince of Darkness. I think we don't need Please. to explain why. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I do. You know, I feel like altogether this movie has something to say about creationism. I find creationism extremely interesting as as a said creator. So, uh, do do I like this movie? Yes, but I will probably never watch it again. Unless I'm like writing something that I feel in, that I need to go back to. Like, say if I'm trying to, like, write a script and I want to kind of take what 
they did in I, w- I would take this script as a template if I want to write something extremely like meta or just like detailed like this movie has a lot of details in it but it's all like you said Sheldon, it's all in the dialogue if yeah. I want to like really work on my dialogue I would go to this the, I would find a script for this movie but as entertainment and as like on just a horror movie level it's fine do i like it not necessarily would i watch it again not if i don't need to i would watch the thing again can i recommend this movie yes i i think i can recommend this to people who are looking for something lovecrafty in the chew on while also thinking about it like you know oh well then again this movie doesn't really explain too much so i don't know yeah. like I think I can recommend it without being like, you know, I won't buy this on DVD or anything, and I probably won't watch it again unless I have to. But, uh, yeah, that's where I will land on it. Um, I think if you want a movie that does this type of thing, not better, but on kind of on the same level, but more grounded, and that I feel is a excellent movie overall, like I, it's easy to digest rather than this one is. Like, this one takes a few days to digest. I feel like one you can watch and get the same type of themes is is Misery, which is a Stephen King adaptation. Really? Misery? Yeah, same kind of story you got. Although, you know, take out all the meta stuff, you, you still got the same theme on, uh, you know, is religion... When does religion... Oh, crap. When does fiction become religion in that when you're dealing with one person who is psychologically disturbed who's living out a fantasy as a religion which is the the author of the book that she's writing or that the book that he's writing we discussed misery in an episode like misery has yeah. the same type of like thing going on but it's easier to kind of, it's more simple not simplified but it's more like compact and i think that the theme is much more easier to put easier to understand on a more grounded human level while this one, no, go ahead. I just don't think that you'll catch anything that really captures the whole idea, like the concept of fiction as well. I think that this does the best at that. Mm, I think you and can get... like, yes, you, you can recommend something like Misery for other themes, but the overarching theme throughout the whole thing is fiction and reality and how being in fiction could warp somebody's mind if they understand that they are not in reality yeah but i'm saying that that's the exact like character like stasis for the two characters in misery okay i I see what you mean with the the lady who takes them yeah yeah it's just more it's more it's a more psychologically grounded human level but it's still she's she's still batshit insane like (laughs) yeah you know walking around with a pig and smashing people's legs together but you know like i'm saying it's more tailored down it's more you know you kind of have to you don't have to work as much to get out of that movie what you're getting out of this movie yeah you don't really have to work to discern whether the fiction is what we are watching or if it's reality yeah yeah i'll say in misery it really does take the whole perspective route but it the movie tells you like it explains and it tells you this one you have the you have the perception and then you have what the movie is presenting and then they kind of converge at some point in the end mm-hmm. so yeah that's our podcast um so yeah we got one more movie to go we got um 
a movie that as of this recording none of us have seen technically uh annihilation we get we're doing that uh next time and then after that me and shelton will be back with a little conversation on the chilling adventures of sabrina yes before we get to riverdale we're going to greendale um and better deal uh, the word eldritch would be <laughs> throughout that entire podcast too um but yeah so um thank you for listening to the murderboard podcast uh if you want more of the murderboard podcast you can find us on instagram at murderboard underscore pod and on twitter at murderboard the there you can ask questions and leave comments about the show uh don't forget to share the show with family and friends you can find us on most of your favorite podcast networks, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and right here on Anchor. Also consider supporting the podcast and su- helping sustain future episodes such as this by hitting the support button slash link down below. Look for new episodes on Fridays and Sundays, and we will catch you again on the murder board. And don't forget, what you're living just might be fiction. See, look, now you're going to have everybody just, like, depressed. <laughs> I believe that. That is what Jim Carrey said one time. <laughs>